Leo Orton, Global Investor on Business Day TV. Stephen Schultz from Momentum Investments in studio today to share his views on all that's happening on global markets. Then in the second part of the show, Rob Johnson from Ned Group Investments takes us through their global property fund. All that coming your way shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. Well, the US dollar jumped today and Treasury yields rose initially after the US Senate voted to approve a wide-ranging tax overhaul. If the deal finally reaches President Donald Trump's desk, it'll be the first major piece of legislation during his first year in office. Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro is looking to the world of digital currency to circumvent US-led financial sanctions. He's announced the launch of the Petro, which will be backed by oil reserves to shore up the collapsed economy. And trade and trade deals are set to dominate the agenda this week, as as the UK faces a deadline to meet key Brexit conditions, and China, the US and Europe's biggest economies report their latest import and export numbers. Here's more. This week, it's Britain's D-Day, a meeting between Prime Minister Theresa May and the European Commission President, the deadline for the UK to meet its Brexit conditions, before it can talk trade with the EU at a summit 10 days later. Signs of a breakthrough on some of them, including the divorce bill and future of the Irish border, has caused more optimism among some economists. In a Reuters poll, they see a 25% probability of a disorderly Brexit, a 5% decrease from October. The Irish border is still a major stumbling block because it's just not quite clear from uh, the UK government's perspective how they can pull this off. There has been talk about Northern Ireland basically staying in line with uh, European customs laws, uh, but that would almost imply that there's a new barrier between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Trade is on the agenda in other parts of the world too this week, with data out of China, Germany and the US. If its trade deficit is larger than its protectionist president wants, that could have a major impact on US trade policy. It seems like he's determined to try and uh, bring, more, uh, bring more money back to the state, bring them closer to, to, uh, to surplus. Whether he can achieve that or not is, is, is up to debate, but um, that is certainly a trend that you have to watch in these in these numbers and, and the kind of political change that could influence how these numbers change over time. Out of the US also this week is non-farm payroll data, likely to show another solid month of job creation in November. But like many others in the developed world, it could show a squeeze on wages, estimated to reveal their weakest rise in a year and a half in October. Well, Stephen Schultz from Momentum Investments joining me at the desk. And Stephen, let's, let's start with what must be the biggest news, and that is that U.S. tax overhaul, because it looks like it's going ahead. It looks like Trump could sign it by Christmas. And we had the Dow Jones opening sharply higher today, so markets liking it. Absolutely. We saw even pre-markets. Uh, we saw equity futures in the U.S. over the weekend, uh, including the U.S. dollar, all strengthening quite nicely into Monday. Um, we saw a very strong uh, open on our side, and then unfortunately it appears to be fizzling out a little bit, um, but it is indeed significant. Um, so what we see now is the Senate uh, on a very narrow vote appearing to pass the, the tax reforms, uh, which now means it goes through to Donald Trump to sign into law, and that could be taking place this year still, um, where we see corporate taxes decrease from 35% to let's say 20, 22, depending on where it settles. Um, and that's a very good story for, for equities. Uh, it feeds into corporate profitability, which improves. Uh, business investment should, on the back of that, improve. Hiring and, of course, the all-important business confidence should improve. Mm. Uh, it looks like banks and industrials in particular 
likes likes the news. Why them in particular? Well, I think consumer confidence feeds into directly into to some of those counters. Um, on the banking side, there was also another very interesting statement that was made last week. Um, one of the other policies that Donald Trump has been pushing since election time or pre-election um, was the reforming of the financial system in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we saw um, some comments made uh, uh, by. Um, the new Fed chair, Powell, um, suggesting that regulation, or at least he favors, and I quote, tailored banking regulation, which effectively means some of the larger US banks, um, the type of guys that could potentially represent systemic risk for for the US, um, would potentially be regulated quite tightly, um, whereas uh, a lot looser regulation for some of your small accounts to ensure that they remain competitive, uh, which is clarity that the market's been looking for for a while. Okay, well, the soon to be old Fed chair, Janet Yellen, has voiced her concern about rising debt in the United States. And of course, this is going to add, so the, the tax overhaul is going to add to debt, in fact, over a trillion dollars to debt over, over a decade. Do you think that they're going to see the economic growth that will warrant that, that debt? It's very difficult to say. Um, so it's a bit of a balancing act. Like you say, cutting taxes ultimately means less revenue, more debt um, for the government, or at least it's harder to pay off the debt that exists. But at the same time, the logic is it does boost growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on who you listen to, uh, I saw Goldman Sachs came out with a note today suggesting um, that growth could be about 3%, uh, sorry, 0.3% higher every year off the back of these cuts alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, the multiplier takes in with consumer confidence. So as consumers start spending, spending in the U.S. makes up about 70% of GDP. Um, it can certainly account for, for the tax cuts. Okay. So we have the, the, the last uh, Fed meeting of the year um, taking place next week. Yes. And the market pretty much expecting it looks like there was a, a Reuters poll, which was pretty unanimous, that so there would be a rate hike next week. Um, do you agree? And are there a lot more to come, considering uh, particularly um, the tax cuts? Yeah, so we're seeing a, we're seeing a pretty healthy buildup in core inflation in the US. Um, so it certainly does feel like it's time. Um, the market has for some while been anticipating a cut. This will be the third cut, sorry, the fir- third uh, increase in, in, in interest rates this year. The first one in March, the second one in June, and, and potentially now. Mm-hmm. Um, not only will we be seeing one now, we think that it's pretty reasonable to expect two to three uh, increases next year. In fact, you, you sent us through a graph, so let's see if we have that graph, if we can pull it up. Um, uh yes, yeah, so, so, so the graph is a bit of a reflection of, I suppose, a differing of opinion between market participants and the Fed itself. Uh, the blue line on top representing the Fed's projections, which you can see are, are quite bullish. Uh, the market not quite buying into it. Um, so the market is convinced that interest rate increases are coming in the U.S., but perhaps at a much slower pace than in some of the the Fed voting members. Uh, and th- this year's came in at a slower pace because we had expected four this year initially mm-hmm. and, and we're getting three probably. Absolutely. So I suppose in, if history is anything to go by, the market's probably a better <laughs> gauge than the voting members themselves. Okay. Um, so moving on to OPEC um, production cuts. Um, unfortunately, we're seeing a petrol price increase of 71 cents on Wednesday yes. uh, thanks to higher oil prices and, and the weaker rand last month. Um, but the OPEC production cuts, they've been extended until 2018. Yes. Um, so is this going to put a, a floor b- b- beneath the oil price? Exactly. And, and I suppose what was the most suspicious about it is that it was championed by a very unlikely source, uh, which is, of course, Russia. Um, so OPEC agreeing to extend um, cuts, supply cuts for another nine months, taking us to the end of next year. Um, effectively, what they've agreed is to trim back 1.8 million barrels a day to put the market back in balance, and I think putting a, a very firm peg under the current oil price, which is which is a fairly generous $64 a barrel. 
is that a level you think that OPEC will be happy with? Would, would they like to see it a lot higher? Certainly, and, 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 and certainly when you consider where we've come from in the past year or two, um, where $30 a barrel was a very real reality, I think 62 is a is a fairly decent level. If price is to go a lot higher, we're going to need to see a continued uptick in global growth uh, and therefore demand increases and perhaps even further cuts in supply, mm -hmm. um, which don't appear likely at this point. I think 62 is a, is a fairly decent price for many of the producers. And do you think that will put a peg um, below Venezuela's new cryptocurrency? Yeah, so a very interesting move. Um, I suppose they've really answered the question that many people have been asking. Um, what really backs cryptocurrency? And, and Bitcoin's um, probably been dominant in the headlines in this regard. Well, Bitcoin's backed by nothing. Yeah, so Bitcoin, <laughs> Bitcoin is, a, is a rather unusual one. Um, it seems to have absolutely dominated investors' minds um, at present. And, and, and certainly, I don't know if you're feeling it, but, but almost everyone I encounter uh, having a financial conversation is, is adamant to, to convince me that the 1,000% gain that it's experienced so far this year. Okay, yeah, so from $1,000 at the start of the year to, to $11,000. $11, yeah, and, and I suppose they're convinced that not only is, is it justified and sustainable, but rather just the beginning of food the gains um, and that includes my, my uber taxi driver this weekend okay uh, we have another graph as well so um, while we're talking itself. about bitcoin let's bring up your other graph um, so the other graph is a, is a fairly unconventional one um, it suggests that bitcoin today is um, not only more popular than offshore investing as a as a google search unfortunately but also beating um, the kardashians um, so you can see that sharp rise recently of of the number of individuals searching bitcoin on google um, you can read into that a number of things. Um, I think it is gaining wide traction, which is a positive. Um, personally, I think that's probably a sign that it should be avoided. Um, <laughs> avoided like the plague, not to sound too dramatic. Do you have a Bitcoin? I don't, uh, nor do I intend to buy one anytime soon. I think the underlying technology, um, the blockchain technology is, is certainly here to stay. Um, but anything that is, is capable of, of dropping 20% in an hour and, and sees that as, as routine price moves, is very dangerous, should not be confused with an investment. Or gaining a thousand percent plus. Or gaining a thousand percent plus in a year uh, is, is ultimately destined to, I think, end in tears. Okay. Uh, well, Brexit negotiations, I'm wondering whether Theresa May is going to be paying the divorce bill with bitcoins. I, I presume not, though. <laughs> yeah, speaking of tears, uh, Theresa May was, was uh, lunching with uh, the European Commission president today to discuss two important matters. The first one being who's going to fit the divorce bill um, for Brexit, and the second one obviously being trade terms post-Brexit. It appears a lot of rumours surfacing around um, Britain's 50 billion euro funding. Um, for Brexit negotiations, which should go a long way in, in softening what could be a hard Brexit. Mm -hmm. We saw the pound rally quite strongly as a result. Um, and the second one being trade terms. Um, trade terms are, are ultimately the next phase of conversations, which hopefully we'll move into in the next week or two. Um, it, it looks like they are making some headway, though, because I saw a headline that said um, the UK is to keep Northern Ireland in regulatory al alignments with the EU. And that, that was a big stumbling block because obviously with the border with Southern Ireland, they need to, to sort that out. Absolutely. So I, I think it was about 45 minutes ago, I read a headline suggesting that they've reached agreement. Uh, I'm waiting to see exactly what that looks like. Regulatory alignment still feels like one of those technical terms which, yeah. which needs to be undressed a little bit, um, but definitely progress being made. And, and I see no reason why that's going to continue. Uh, bear in mind, that's been a, a nine month argument in the making. Okay. Well, amidst all this, um, you're still seeing value in the markets and your stock pick today is Microsoft. 
Yeah, so I suppose it's it's not too controversial a pick. Um, it goes off the back of Cyber Monday. Uh, Cyber Monday, we saw a record sales number of 6.6 billion uh, US dollars. Surprisingly, 20% coming from mobile phones. Uh, 2015, internet penetration globally sat at about 44%. That's expected to be up a half to about 66% by 2025. Uh, off the back of increased internet penetration will be more data, more consumers, more online, more websites. And I think Microsoft is very well placed to capitalize on that. They're really morphing their business um, away from, from pure software into an infrastructure, a mm -hmm. data infrastructure engine um, and platform for, for digital capabilities. And lots of clouds to store all this lots stuff. Lots of clouds <laughs> to store stuff. Um, it is a rather expensive stock in the currently trades at a 31p. It's up 45% in dollar terms so far uh, this year. Um, so potentially expensive, but it's got a very great moat around it, uh, very expensive to business to enter into, and effectively one of three in the oligopoly that includes uh, Microsoft, Amazon, um, and of course Google's parent company, Alphabet. Okay, so Microsoft, the pick of the day. We're going to take a quick breather. When we come back, we'll be looking at Ned Group's uh, Global Property Fund. Stay with us. Welcome back. You're watching Global Investor. Still with me in studio, Stephen Schultz from Momentum Investments. We're also joined by Rob Johnson to chat about Ned Group's Global Global Property Fund. Rob, thank you very much for coming in. So Good evening. If we buy into the Global Property Fund, what are you getting? Well, just that. Global buildings, really. And uh, what we're focused on in the portfolio is um, quality assets, which means high-quality buildings in uh, high-demand centres around the world. Um, and when I say all around the world, I literally mean that. So Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Germany, France, US predominantly, um, that's the makeup of the benchmark. So there's a big chunk of US in there. But also you're looking at strong management companies uh, within that. And also you're looking at strong balance sheets. I think that's very important at this point in the cycle as well. How closely do you follow the benchmark, Rob? No, it's, it's, it's highly active. Um, I think benchmark cognizant would be, uh, would be the more accurate. Um, as you can imagine, there's many REITs out there around the world and the beauty of the fund actually is having the ability to switch and move around the world, either between sectors, so office or, or retail, or, um, or in undervalued countries as well, or regions. Uh, I was, sorry, you wanted to talk? No, I was just going to say, uh, looking at the, the asset allocation um, mm -hmm. across the world, I think South Africans in general have a have a almost an obsession with global property, and, mm -hmm. and by that measure, the JSC is almost dominated by by European counters. Mm -hmm. um, but I see the funds fifty five percent based in in the US or exposed to the US. Yes, I mean uh, some of the largest uh, global REIT companies are based in the US, and even some European companies are listed on the New York Stock Exchange as well. I think there's a always been a high demand for that, such companies in the US. Um, the valuation doesn't really speak to US companies, but because of the um, divergence in different r sectors at the moment, so retail, for example, has had a really tough time, so has healthcare, yeah. whereas industrials and logistics companies have done really well. So you're seeing value come through in the healthcare and the retail sectors where, where you might be rotating out of industrial and, and logistical companies at the time. So yes, there's a lot of options in the US, which is why you see quite a big proportion of the portfolio in that. Uh, and how would you expect that to, to perform in a rising interest rate environment in the United States? That's a very good question. Um, and we get that a lot actually, because obviously 
you expect uh, property companies to come under pressure with rising uh, in interest rates, rising yields, means their debt's um, more burdenous. But what we have seen since the global financial crisis is actually REIT companies delever, and actually the loan to value um, amongst the companies in our portfolio is around 30%, where previously looking at 45% plus. So, you know, it's, it's much less encumbered balance sheets, which means they have much more capital put to put at work where they see value. And is this something you're keeping a close watch on? Because you did say you look for quality assets and you also look at their balance sheets quite closely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For example, um, one of the uh, top holdings in there is Sung Hung Kai. It's a Hong Kong realtor. They've got office buildings in mainland China as well and where they're seeing value and they're they're putting through developments on those properties in high demand areas. The urbanisation in China is seeing a high demand for those properties where supply is constrained. So um, it's, it's the supply-demand dynamics like that that makes buildings um, maintain their value and also maintain that high level of rental income. Mm. I, I was going to ask whether this is only focused on developed markets, but you, did, you, you mentioned there is some mainland China property mm-hmm. in there as well. Mm-hmm. Developed markets, generally it is. I mean the benchmarks are developed um, benchmark as opposed to the uh, narrate global benchmark, which has some EM in it as well. But as, you, as, as I just explained and you quite rightly pointed out, um, there are some listings in there that will have properties that are based in emerging markets. And also there's another company in there called Jacina, which is a French company. Um, and they have uh, just done some acquisitions in Eastern Europe as well. So you'll, you'll get an element of that, but the main listing would probably be in developed markets, which gives some comfort as well in terms of balance sheet strength and, and quality management. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the love affair with Eastern European property um, amongst our listed counters on the JSE. Do you think this is a nice alternative if you can get access to other markets such as China and the United States? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is a, this is a far more diversified counter than many of the JSE listers. Um, I was just wondering, in terms of the, the names, admittedly, I'm, I'm not familiar with many of the counters, mm-hmm. um, and presumably given the scope of your, of your opportunity set, mm-hmm. um, research is, is particularly important. How do you go about identifying opportunities um, and then I'd imagine yeah, it'd be that, yeah, in that's field a, research. That's a great question as well. I mean, it's a very low turnover portfolio. It's quite slow moving. So I think the, the, the amount of time that it takes to research these companies, think about it. You have to interview the management and the management then have to, you have to go and see the buildings. Um, so last time I met with the portfolio manager, they were going up to um, Northern England to visit the site where one of their holdings has just leased a property to Amazon a big logistical centre up in the north, north of England, name of the town escapes me at the moment, but they are um, obviously visiting the buildings to ensure that what they're being told by company management is actually being put into practice and they're seeing these, um, these buildings populated and also the, the demand for the buildings as well needs to be maintained at that high level. Mm. I mean, R- Rob, the, the fund's been running just over a year. Yeah. Uh, what, what sort of take-up have you had, particularly given that um, we've had over the past year a number of global property ETFs launched mm-hmm. into the market, mm-hmm. which is obviously a low-cost entry point for investors? Yeah, yeah there's a um, good question. We have, um, it's been slow. Um, with a short track record, you are kind of um, swimming up tide. Um, but with this portfolio, the, the investment team behind it has a 10-year track record on global REIT um, strategy that's re- managed in Australia. Um, 
I would caution against a passive strategy within the global REIT space. Um, generally, within global equities, I think the valuations are uh, extended, and if you're in a, in a passive tracking vehicle at this point in time, you can only follow the benchmark down. So um, with an active manager that is focused on quality assets, then you're more likely to outperform in a falling market. Um, they, they tend to look at um, capital protection as well when they're buying into an asset. So thinking, building some scenarios to think about wh what could possibly be the worst scenario, what could possibly go wrong with this investment, with these buildings, with the tenants within those buildings, and therefore how much could you potentially lose either from the capital value of the property but also from um, delinquencies in rent. Mm. Uh, you, you have outperformed the benchmark, albeit it's only for mm. a, a year or a year <laughs> and a half. Um, I mean, what, what sort of track record would you need to get uh, in place to, 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 to really justify your performance? Yeah, I think um, looking 2% above the benchmark over time, and if you look at the full track record of the 10-year of the history or, or of the investment team, they've achieved that. And it's also been very consistent, which is, which is quite pleasing as well. I mean, you know, coming into this portfolio, um, after it's had a nine-year track record and it's been doing well, for it to have another year and on our fund as well has been fantastic and it's something that, that we hope continues into the future. Mm. I, see, I see the portfolio has got 5% in, in cash at the moment there mm -hmm. about. And, and mm -hmm. Surely that's not excessive, but no. are you finding it difficult to, to find opportunities of decent valuations in an expensive market? Well, it is. Um, there's been so we have put some money to work in Q2, though, um, moving around in the retail space, so, so selling some of the, the weaker retail properties um, and, and moving into the likes of Westfield, increasing, which is an Australian REIT, but it's got um, uh, the malls all over the world. Um, I think you, um, if, you, if you're aware, Stratford uh, um, in London and also um, uh, Shepherd's Bush in London, very big shop attainment malls. I think that's a new feature shop in attainment. shop attainment. <laughs> so uh, people aren't going to buy anymore, they're going to be entertained and perhaps buy something. Um, you're seeing concept stores take over the big malls as well. And so the, all these are the new tenants, Tesla taking p uh, place in malls as well. The big department stores mm. are giving up space because they're not getting the footfall and they're not seeing the revenue which is being taken up online instead. Mm. We've also seen a big push by South, some South African property companies into storage mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. and, and distribution warehouses, mm -hmm. and particularly with growth of Amazon and stuff. Is, is that a trend you're seeing, uh, something you can capitalize on? Yes, definitely. Um, in the portfolio top 10, there's Prologis, a uh, big US um, uh, um, uh, logistics company, and then Equinix as well, which is actually a European company that's listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Again, Equinix has been buying, um, buying companies and expanding through M&A into Turkey and, and other Eastern European countries, Spain, Portugal, and in, in Southern Europe as well. Um, but similar themes, yes, absolutely. The online um, retailer space, big logistical networks being set up and big, big hubs, big warehouses. Um, but also we, we see um, specialized space. So whereas you've got Amazon in the north of England, they're demanding from the, from the REIT companies that they fit out the buildings for the tenant. And I think if you, if you followed the Amazon new office uh, um, bidding war, if you like, in the US, you'll see that part of that, that bid process is what, how they can help fund the, the development of Amazon's second headquarters, if you like. Mm -hmm. Any Brexit risks um, with that 7% exposure you have to the UK? Yeah. Um, I, I'm very nervous about UK 
commercial property, particularly office. Uh, within this portfolio, you've got the likes of um, Land Securities um, and uh, Great Portland Street and Shaftesbury. Now, these are companies that are focused on very central London, not, not uh, periphery London, not residential London that seems to be, if you look along the South Bank uh, from Battersea Park all the way through to, uh, to Vauxhall um, n near Waterloo, there's just an extreme amount of development of residential property. So I'm quite wary of that, particularly within the Brexit scenario. You see lower jobs in London, in particularly in the financial sector that might have an impact on uh, um, central London residential. But if you look at um, Shaftesbury, Great Portland and, and, and Land Securities, they're only properties around Carnaby Street, um, just uh, to the north of Tottenham Court Road and around Victoria Station as well. Very high demand areas, very limited office space there and also around um, transport hubs as well. So it's, it's things like that that maintain the, the demandability, new word, um, <laughs> For, for these properties and, and, and helps them sustain those renters and, and maintain the income level coming in there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the ETFs probably charge a TER of about 50 basis points or less. Uh, what, what are you charging for, for this actively managed Yes, it's, it, it's, it's about well above that. I think for the A share class, we, we have a, a TER of around 127 with um, uh, 15 basis points of transaction charges on top of that, taking an all-in cost of 142. I think the performance you're looking at there and you mentioned earlier is after fees. And I think with you're buying a premium product here, you're buying global real estate professionals, specialists. They're not doing anything else. Mm -hmm. They're based in Australia, they sit in Sydney and all they do is look at properties around the world. Um, there's four portfolio managers on this. They split 25% of the portfolio each and they dedicate, um, they're highly competitive with each other. So they're all um, fighting it out to be the best performer over every period. Um, but so that's what I think you need in this space. I think you need people that know to the nth degree what's important when you're investing in real estate securities. Of course, if they're sitting in Sydney, they're sitting on some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Mm. Oh yeah, they <laughs> are, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, both of you. Pleasure, thank That's you. That's where we have to wrap it for this week. Um, thanks again to Stephen Schultz. He's from Momentum Investments. Also to Rob Johnson from Ned Group Investments. More global investors, same time next week. Goodbye.